0: Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NELA Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff side lawyers. We are your hosts, Amit Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the board of directors of NILA Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights and welcome back to employee to lawyer the employment law podcast we are your hosts once again i'm max barrick and i'm amit bindra and we are lucky to once again be speaking to our super fan and favorite guest, David Lee, the founder of the Law Offices of David L. Lee. I encourage you to come back and listen to the first few episodes we've done with David for a longer bio. Just know that he's a past president of the National Employment Lawyers Association and an outstanding lawyer who has probably helped every single person in our bar at least once, if not dozens of times. David, welcome back.
1: Thanks. you. Good to be here.
0: It's good to have you. Have at it, Amit. So we're going to continue our Ask David Lee segment. Hopefully we can make this a running thing. So we we did part one. This will be part two. We're just going to ask you some questions. And just kind of let us know your thoughts. So the next question on the list is, how should NILA attorneys try to determine their hourly rates? And I think this matters in the context of both bringing in clients, but also submitting fee petitions to courts when they get awarded statutory fees.
1: Um, one of our earlier podcasts, I think it was you, Amit, it might have been you, Max. I forget, uh, said you were uh, once upon a time in antitrust law and considering becoming an antitrust lawyer. Is that you, Amit?
0: That was me, yeah. I, right. In, while I was in law school, that was kind of something I thought I would end up doing. And I wrote some articles about antitrust and even worked for the attorney general's antitrust department as a law clerk.
1: And I started practicing a fair amount of antitrust at a, at a very low level because I was a new associate in a very big law firm. But the one thing here is you have to be careful not to trip the, the antitrust laws. But that said, there the, first of all there are resources. Uh, there are local rules or things like in the, dis, the district of Columbia. There's the Laffey matrix and there's actually various versions of that and other I believe think it's a district of Maryland has a local rule that that kind of sets rates or rates that it would accept without question and of course you can always look up fee petitions and you can always ask you <laughs> know uh just be careful not to violate the entity. But no matter what you set your you think your rate should be, set it higher. <laughs> you know. If you think you should be three fifty an hour, set it at four twenty five. If you think you should be five hundred an hour, set it at five seventy five. Just set it higher than you think it should be. And have a you know, practice of raising your rate every January 1st. You know, it doesn't matter if it's 10 bucks an hour that you raise it. Also, look for ways that you can establish the rate as an actual market rate. For example, earlier, or I'm sorry, in the last session we talked about, you might be taking a case just because you wanna help somebody, but you know to limit your engagement one thing you can do is is charge an hourly rate you know say i will do good faith negotiations i'll cap it at four hours and i'll charge you 350 an hour which means that you're not going to pay any more than whatever And if I get you the million dollars that you think you deserve, you're going to get 999000 of that. Look for ways to set an hourly rate. You have to be careful of some areas of law where rates are controlled, like unemployment and all that. And then if, if you are ever in the position where you can file a fee petition, go on the listserv and ask for help, for affidavits, for other people who can say that your hourly rate is reasonable, that it's less than they charge, and that you have more experience or whatever the facts might be. Yeah, do you advice on quality yeah, rates.
0: And in terms of fee petitions, do you have any ad- advice or thoughts on ways to make those petitions more effective? I know just reading through case, law, a lot of times, those fees are reduced or the hourly rate is reduced. So, do you have any advice on how to make sure attorneys can get as close to their hourly rate as possible?
1: Yeah. So, you should always keep track of all your hours. And then you can decide not to charge for some. But if you decide not to charge for some hours, show that on your fee petition. So, like when I, I when I take a case hourly, I in my engagement letter, I usually say something like, you know, I don't charge for this, I don't charge for this. You know, I don't charge for things that are purely for my business benefit, like doing a bill, or I don't charge for emails or text messages that are simply transmitting something with no content whatsoever. Other than here's this, you know, it's different from here's this and let me explain what's going on, which I would charge for. But I try and show, I try to capture all that time and show it on on my fee petition or in a client bill for that matter. And then when you do a fee petition or a client bill, I would do it using the same principles of persuasion that you use in anything else. So, so one principle of persuasion that, that I try to use as much as possible is you want to get the other person, the person you're trying to persuade, thinking in the direction you want them to think, which means that you should start out with the stuff that is least likely to engender resistance either because they agree with it or it's inoffensive or whatever. So like in a client bill or a fee petition, what I start out with is here's what I did not charge. Right? I did not charge for this. I did not charge for this. I did not charge for this. The total of everything I did not charge for is this much, which comes to 15% of your bill, right? Here's what I did charge. And then, and some local rules require this. I don't believe that Northern District of Illinois does, but I do charts that categorize things so so you not just have your time but then you you put it into a chart that has you know this this month for initial client engagement and investigation, this month for drafting a complaint and reviewing an answer, this much for doing written discovery and document reviews, this much for doing depositions, you know, and and all that. Try another principle of persuasion is try to make it as easy for your audience to come out the way you want as possible, you know? So if at all possible, you know, get across the idea or maybe explicitly say, I am not grubbing for every dollar here. Right. Here's the stuff I'm not charging for. Here's all the in in my only engagement letter, I say something like, if I persuade the other side to pay some attorney's fees, or if the judge orders them to pay some attorney's fees, I don't double dip. Everything that I get that the judge awards goes to reduce what you would otherwise owe me. And, you know, I, I put that front and center in the in a fee petition. You know, if, if your honor awards this amount, 90% of it goes to the client to reduce what they would otherwise owe me. And here's the provision in my attorney engagement letter that says that.
0: A lot of this is really good advice, too, in terms of the bill to the client as well. Like if you're yeah. doing a bunch of stuff and not charging for it, tell the client that because inevitably they're going to get a bill. They're going to look at that. It's going to be four figures at a minimum, potentially. It's a lot of money. And so just them knowing I'm not nickel and diming you. I'm only charging you for the big picture stuff.
1: Yeah. The timekeeping program, the DOS timekeeping program that I used (laughs) in the late 80s and early 90s could do this. My super duper online (laughs) program. That I used out does not, you know. So, so we've gone backwards thirty years. But if I'm not going to charge for something, either I know it at the when I enter the time, or I go back and I prepare a bill. At the beginning of the time entry, I put like in all caps, no charge, you know. So,
0: yeah.
1: so it just really stands out. And that's something, if you put down like a zero hourly rate, the DOS program, automatically, but, but what I use now does not. But yeah, emphasize, you know, emphasize how good and reasonable you are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're going to switch gears to some more, I think, heavier questions and also just questions kind of reflecting on your life and your career, given your four plus decades of practice of law. So the first question or the next question is, and this is a heavier topic, you had a cancer diagnosis recently. What was it like to have that while you're practicing? You know, Obviously, just from a life standpoint, from a practice of law standpoint, all of that.
1: So at least with me, the diagnosis followed a series of tests that started very innocently. The first thing was, oh, we're offering free genetic screening would you like it i said sure why not (laughs) and so it came down that you have a mutation that increases the chance of cancer so then they say well we think you know the odds are very much against it but we think you ought to do this right so i did that and then they said well the odds are very much against it but you're still showing the possibility, so we think you ought to do this other thing and so i went through a bunch of things. And so each time I was closer to getting a cancer diagnosis, both in terms of medical science and just in terms of my own attitude. So it wasn't exactly like I walked into a doctor's office one day and he said, by the way, you've got cancer. You know, there had been a battery of tests. I had had genetic tests, blood tests. MRI can't, uh, uh, an actual like touching the body to see if you can feel tumors and things like that. And then the last one was a biopsy, and the biopsy came back. Yeah, you know, yes, you do in fact have cancer. I would also say, out of out of out of this whole thing, through the biopsy, through the treatment, and the preparation for the treatment, and the recovery from the treatment, and all that. The worst one was the biopsy. That's the one that that hurt. You know, I mean, where it's like, oh God, I don't want to do that again. You know, like a cat scan is nothing. You know, if you don't have claustrophobia, you're laying there. They put headphones on you and play music. They ask you what sort of music you like. <laughs> and,
0: uh,
1: yeah, but, you know, it's it's like, gee. I...
0: What 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 music did you pick?
1: I picked like Motown. You <laughs> know, so. I love the Supremes, and you yeah, know, yeah. I went to high school in the late '60s, and so that's that's the music that to me is the music. But the, having it confirmed, you know, that you actually have cancer is for me scary, and I'm I'm a medical coward, you know. I, I don't want, I don't like being operated on. I don't want to be operated on, you know, all, all that stuff. So I, I'm a medical coward. And the type of cancer I've had, the two major treatments are radiation or surgery. There's also hormone, which typically goes with radiation, at least as far as I can tell. And then, boy, do they give you reading material. I mean, I had had a book that was like 500 pages thick. So it was very interesting because I, I, the first sort of consult I had with an oncologist was a surgical oncologist. And he said, you know, well, there's radiation and there's surgery and blah, blah, blah. And, And interestingly... The recovery rates are almost identical and, and and the side effects are different, you know, and there's different contraindications and things and for for like all of the contraindications, I was like right on the cusp <laughs> but but the surgical oncologist said, "But you know I'm a surgeon, and so I really believe in surgery. You ought to talk to a radiation oncologist uh, But here's another surgical oncologist, too, So I talked to another surgical oncologist and I talked to a radiation oncologist and the radiation oncologist said, you know, I'm a radiation oncologist, so I really believe in radiation, but, you know, you should talk to a surgical oncologist. So I was on this whole referral chain where, you know. And every surgical oncologist said, "Thing, hey, you know, I'm a surgical oncologist. I, I believe in that, but radiation is is, is also a, a clear option. And every radiation oncologist said, I'm a radiation oncologist. I really believe in that. But surgery is an option. And then I had a telephone consult with a guy at Mayo Clinic who was a surgical oncologist. And I've got to say, I was leaning toward radiation because like I say I'm a medical coward and so radiation therapy is kind of like getting a x-ray you know you're you, you lay there and they point something at you and you know and surgery is surgery you know but the the Mayo Clinic surgical oncologist said you know I'm a surgical oncologist and I, I thought yeah here it comes he said but Given this and this and this, I think you're a better candidate for radiation. So that that did it for me, and I chose radiation. So there was about a year, pretty much last year, when between the pandemic and the treatment and the biggest side effect of radiation is fatigue, I didn't do a whole lot. Now, if, 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 if I could do work, Using my iPhone, laying flat on my back in bed, like emails, you know, particularly simple emails or phone calls, I could do that. But anything where I had to like sit at a computer was just really, really difficult. But when I got my cancer diagnosis, they said, you know, well, there's good news and bad news, right? And the bad news is you have cancer. But the good news is we think we caught it really early and, you know, we think everything will be fine in the long run and all that. So a lot of people get a lot worse news than I got. uh, That was my experience of getting a cancer diagnosis.
0: How are you now?
1: I feel better every day. That's great. I've had a bunch of follow-ups. I see a doctor days after we record this for another follow-up and then I've, the next one after that in July and all the follow-ups have been really good you know not, no medical professional has used the word rescission or cure or anything like that but they have said that on my last two tests the cancer markers were undetectable so so, oh, yeah, I've got my fingers crossed.
0: That's awesome. So, and that's just you. I know a, a lot of people have reached out to us about you, and a lot of people are definitely going to have their fingers crossed as well. Well, let's ask a question that's maybe more fun, <laughs> for you at least. In your 45 years of practice, what was one of your favorite moments?
1: One of my favorite moments grew out of some of my worst moments. Because I think it was in the first session of this, I talked about the opposing attorney who won the biggest asshole trophy, and that case went to trial, and the jury came back in that favor. And winning that after really having been put through <laughs> a, a large amount of you-know-what by my opponent, that that was just, oh, my God, that felt so good, but also when I get like letters or thank yous from clients, you know, yeah, and it, and it's strange, you know, I I have lost trials where the client said, you know, was just worth it to see you cross examine my old boss or whatever, <laughs> and, and and of course, and I've won too, but but you know, the, the clients who I mean, one guy sent me a note, thank you, you got me back my dignity. And you know, and another guy said, you know, I I don't know what I would have done, you know, without without you and things like that. Those are really touching, of course.
0: Well yeah. It it means a lot, I think, for people. Now in some of these situations, a lot of these it might have been a good outcome, but regardless of the outcome, just to see you stand up for them and fight for them. So is your least favorite moment then? that attorney who has the, the biggest trophy or is there a different one?
1: That's, that's, that's certainly one of them
0: <laughs> and and getting fired
1: a bunch of times. Yeah. We're also, we're also least favored moments, you know, even though, even though it all worked out in the moment, it, it really hurt and and was scary, you know, like, how do I get the mortgage and <laughs> things like that. Uh, so, so I, I, I have, a lot of empathy for our clients and potential clients because, you know, I've been fired a number of times and, you know, I was married, I had kids, I had a mortgage. I, I, I didn't know what I would do, you know, and I, I get it that so many of our clients are in the, in the same position and potential clients, but still you should do everything that we said, I think in the last session about, you know, Carefully choosing your clients just because somebody's in a bad way and you want to help them is not necessarily enough to take the
0: case. well, looking at it holistically, would you want to do the last forty five years of practice of law again?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I would you know I mean, there were some good times and some bad times, but but overall. I'm happy and it's it's worked
0: out and you've talked about this. I think it was probably your first episode. Where does being able to practice with your dad rank on your list?
1: that's That's a difficult question. My dad and I had a complicated relationship, and in some ways, I loved it and I learned a lot and you know he he was he, he, he was an amazing person with a lot of skills. Um, I think he was an incredible salesperson. So he's very good at settlement and at client relations. He was also, he had kind of an artistic imagination. And so trial prep was more acting out scenarios. You know, than reading depositions or something like that. Yeah, like uh, it, it would be
0: like playing out chess uh, moves. It'd be like playing out the chess moves and seeing how everything well, is going to flow.
1: That's that's a really good point. I I never thought of it that way uh, with my dad. Uh, it, it was more like him saying, "Well, if I ask this, you know, well, what can what can he say? What can he say? You know," or having me like role play. The, the person he was going to examine, um, but he he could also be you know a very difficult person, and the roles, uh, the father son and the uh, of associate roles would kind of get mixed up, and and it could be hard to shift on a dime. You know, I mean from you know sort of being growled at about a case and and all that to Oh, you wanna stay over for dinner? <laughs> I mean, you know, that's just, yeah. Maybe I wasn't flexible enough. I don't know. But yeah. But he died in two thousand eight and I, I miss him. I do miss him. But that, I do think if you're gonna go carefully if you're gonna go into practice with your family. <laughs> I I mean, I yeah. Uh, I mean like you've had Megan O'Malley on a couple of times, and she and her husband John are law partners, and as far as I can tell, they do great at both, you know, both in their marriage and in their law firm, and it certainly can work out, but, you know, again, it's know themselves, I
0: guess. Well, I, I really appreciate your time. You've, had, you've come on now for four different episodes, and we like to end our episodes with a shout-out of the week on behalf of Max, myself, the NILA community at large. Sure, your clients as well. We just want to thank you for everything. Wish you the best of luck with your diagnosis, everything else that's going on in your life. Um, I've really enjoyed these these two episodes we just did, these Ask David Lee section uh, segments. Hopefully, we can do more of them. So, thank you so much for everything you've done.
1: Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed it too. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks to everybody at home for listening. Please subscribe and share. Our podcast is intended to provide general reviews of employment laws. The statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that. The host's opinions. We are not your attorneys. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.